Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy first Monday in May, everybody. I can't believe May is here, but you know, time just keeps going on. And I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest, Julian Gonzalez. Welcome to the show, Julian. Hey, Marsha, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share a little bit about um, what I've gone through in my short 22 years of life, but a lot has happened back uh, within that time, so I'm excited that you invited me to be on the show because I think I have a lot of good things for not just young people, but older people to hear and uh, take in today. I so agree with you. I could not agree with you more because we met just because at the LAX Coastal Chamber of Commerce um, office at a binge networking um, program. And you were there in your suit looking very handsome. And we just started (laughs) speaking to one another. Well, you did. You looked very professional. And we just started speaking to one another. And the more we talked to talk in those first, I don't know, five or six minutes, it was like, really? I mean, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, what a story. And then we realized that we knew some some people um, that we both know. And it's after after those few moments, I remember I just, like, whipped out my business card and said, you've got to be a guest on my show. And oftentimes <laughs> that's, that's how it happens. How it happens, Julian. Yeah, so I'm, definitely. I'm just that's one thing I'm talking about. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that's just one thing I really like about your show. From the few ones that I've heard, it all seems like it's very organic. It's truly people that you've just met in the community. And it seems more like, you know, you're just looking to connect with inspired and like-minded people as opposed to running a business, which is something that I really, really like about um, the Born to Talk radio. Oh, that's kind of you. I I really believe in, in my soul that... While, you know, billions of people are not listening to the show, whoever chooses to listen will have the opportunity to hear about real people, real stories, and positive ones where we're talking about what makes us as a community of people, of humans, connected. And that, that just does it for me. That's why I have a variety of shows and I avoid the, the topic of politics. It divides us. My show includes everybody. And let's start off by getting to know a little bit more about you, because I really don't know a lot about your personal life. <laughs> so why don't you tell? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'd like to get to know about you. Yeah, of course. Well, my name is Julian Gonzalez. I'm a Westchester native. Lived in the same home in Westchester um, since I was born. I'm first generation American. So 
my father came from Mexico when he was young, and so did my mother coming from Colombia. So that's been an experience in itself, um, learning a lot about different cultures. Um, I was raised speaking the Spanish language at first, learned um, English through El Marino Language School. Have you heard of that school in Culver City? Yes, I have. Yes, is that where yeah, you went? So, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's where I went for elementary school. And their program is a, it's a bilingual program as well. So we learned all the topics through school in Spanish. So like science, mathematics, history was all taught in Spanish. And we had a separate class for English. So it was kind of like the reverse of what most schools do. And interestingly enough, in the last few years, um, two or three other schools in the Culver City District have uh, started doing bilingual programs as well, following uh, El Marino's model because of the success that they've seen in students testing higher with the ability to um, use two languages. There's been a lot of studies that cognitively um, learning in two languages is more beneficial to, how, to brain development in youth. So growing up, I was very blessed to have that dichotomy in my life, you know, where not only was I learning two different languages, but being raised in two completely different cultures has helped me, you know, to have a more open mind and really understand people better. That's beautifully said. Do you have um, siblings? Yeah, I do. I have two younger siblings. So I'm the oldest of three. I have a younger brother named Nico. He is 20, or he's 19, about to be 20. And I have a sister, Camila, who just turned 19, or is going to turn 19 in a few days. And, uh, yeah, we came, yeah, they're awesome. I love them both very much. And we came from a huge family as well. So on my father's side, I think I have, 10 cousins and on my mom's side I have nine I believe and I was the oldest one so um, yeah that was pretty interesting (laughs) to be you know the oldest son in a really big Latino family. Yeah I can imagine so let me ask you then do you think that having that background that you just described being the oldest um and, and also the fact that you were in a bilingual educated uh, elementary school experience. Do you think that that shaped your community-oriented mentality? Do you think that that's affected that? Definitely. I think um, growing up I saw, you know, how my family really works together in pretty much every aspect of life. You know, it was every weekend we'd be getting together with the family Um, People were always hanging out. To this day, um, I hang out with my cousin Andy pretty much almost every single day. We we all grew up. So my dad has three siblings that all live within three blocks of us in Westchester. So, you know, growing up, it was always so many family members around me. And being the oldest, I kind of had this a little bit of weight on my shoulder that I was supposed to be the role model for everyone below me, parents were, you know, my aunts and uncles and everyone always were telling me that I have to be the model for all my younger cousins. And I think that that has really inspired and pushed me to follow a profession where I'm also connecting with the community that's making me make new connections and meet new people. And 
I think just growing up around so many people has made me so comfortable in that situation that when I wanted to, when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life, it had to be something where I was connecting, interacting, learning about new people. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure, down the road in this talk mm-hmm. today. But definitely, um, you know, just being around all these people, seeing how they help each other has really molded my life into wanting to build something along those lines as well in my professional you know, you know what's so interesting about what you've said because you, I, I, I don't ever know where, where the responses are going to come from my questions, and, and I don't know that you are aware of this. Maybe you are. I was also born and raised in Westchester, and really? I live in – yes, and I live in the same house that my husband and I bought in 1973, and my son and daughter went through the Westchester schools and Westchester High School and on and off to college. But you and I both know what it's like living in what I like to refer to as Mayberry. It's a, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. nestled community within a met, just a mega city of Los Angeles. People can be driving down Sepulveda Boulevard on their way to the airport and not realize if they were to go left or right that they would be in our community that has a prestigious college, Loyola Marymount University, blocks from my house. And so it means a lot to be part of a community, just like what you've just described. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Finish your thought, please. Well, I was just going to say I grew up with a lot of cousins as well, and I understand what, what that means, and I think it's just great that you have this cousin that's like a brother to you. I, I love hearing that. And I, I, I know that um, you, you went to Loyola High School, is that correct? Yes, I did. So I attended schools from K through 8 in the Culver City District because of the bilingual programs. And then, um, yeah, went to Loyola for high school. And that was, that was an interesting transition as well, going from a public big, huge public school to an all-boy private high school, that had in it its own challenges and rewards. Mm-hmm. And it led you to a Catholic college, because I believe you went on, I believe Santa Clara is part of the Jesuit college system, is it? Do yeah, I have that right? exactly. So Santa Clara, USF, and LMU are the three um, Jesuit universities in California. And Uh, Going to Loyola was a big reason of why I went to um, Santa Clara University. I grew up Catholic. Um, My grandparents, my two grandmothers are both very um, Catholic, practicing Catholics. Um, I wasn't very uh, strictly Catholic growing up. I I mean, I considered myself Catholic, but it wasn't like I was going to church every weekend and, you know, being very strict about it. But I really liked the Jesuit mentality of spirituality of oneness, of community, and, you know, I wanted to continue in that path, and that's an, one of the reasons that I chose to go to Santa Clara. And what did, what did you study there? So at Santa Clara, I studied finance. Um, I studied with a major in finance, and I also got a minor in Spanish, because growing up bilingual, I did all the AP tests in high school, and when I got to college, I I also went abroad in Spain. So I lived in Spain for four months in 2016. 
And I took two classes in Spanish there, and I took two classes in Spanish at Santa Clara, and that was enough for me to get a minor. So because I had all these AP credits, it was like, it, it didn't make sense to not do it, you know? And uh, I wanted to continue practicing my Spanish, continue being more efficient at it, because it's really one of the markets that I want to tackle now in my professional life. Because in financial planning in this industry, it's mostly, what it really is, is educating people about different things they could use to get to where they want to be in their financial position. And I think that the Latino community does not have a lot of that education for several reasons. And I really want to be someone that breaks that mold and starts helping people in the Latino community. As big as it is in Los Angeles, I think there's a huge learning gap that I hope to fill in my career. Fabulous. Just as a side note, because I'm just curious, I've been to Spain as well. So what, what, where were you in Spain when you were there for those four months? Um, I was studying in Sevilla, so the southern part of Spain, about an hour and a half, two hours away from the Mediterranean coast. It was beautiful. I, yeah. I loved Andalusia, uh, Sevilla, Cordoba, Granada, all the cities with uh, Moorish influence. It was really interesting to be in a place like that also had a clash of two cultures because in southern Spain, there's a lot of is Arabic and Moorish influence coming from Northern Africa and some parts of the Middle East and just the culture, the food, the architecture was so cool to see, you know, the Spanish colonial um, arts mixed with the Islamic arts. I think when two cultures come together and create something from merging and developing together, it creates something really beautiful and unique. Oh, you you said that beautifully. Well, so there are many routes that you could have taken with your financial degree, and adding that Spanish minor obviously is tremendous. So why why did then did you decide to go into financial planning? So when I was deciding what I wanted to do with this finance career, it was a, it was a lot about what we talked about earlier. I didn't want to be in a position where I was like an analyst or something like an accountant or somewhere where I'm behind the desk crunching financial numbers and analyzing charts and graphs. But I wanted to do something where I'm engaging with people, where I'm connecting, where my job is literally to connect, understand, and help. And that, you know, there's a couple routes you could take with that. You could do financial planning, you could do advising, you could do coaching and um, I found a wonderful company, Mass Mutual, that uh, was ready to, you know, put me on a team in San Jose. And I had a good friend of mine already working for them. And it just seemed like, you know, the universe was putting all the pieces together for me to get started um, with the internship, to get licensed, to start serving the community. So I think that's really what it was. It was I didn't want to sit behind a desk in a suit and tie crunching numbers for a big corporation, but I wanted to do something where I'm learning and helping people in the community, helping families, helping individuals and helping small businesses grow. I also think like just bigger picture down the line, our society is going to be more um, ran by, you know, individuals and small businesses. And there's going to be a decline of, 
big corporate greed. And I think that's just the trend of what has been happening um, now. And in the future, small businesses are going to be really what people are going to be going towards because I, this might be just an opinion of mine, but I really feel like people are now yearning more for personal connection, for more intimacy and are kind of getting tired of the robots and numbers and things like that. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I'm a relationship person as well. That's what I love about my show. And I would much prefer to develop a relationship with a person that understands my needs, wants, and you're talking money. That's, that's, uh-huh. I, I mean, I really, when, when my, and I know you know a little bit about this in my story, but when my husband retired from Hughes Aircraft, which became Raytheon, uh, we had oh, a wow. financial planner that was, that I know pensions, who did pensions back in those days, but we mm, were. A yeah, that's, that's somebody. another thing that uh, yes. we're trying to figure out how to solve because, I mean, that's something that is becoming a problem now, the loss of pensions and there's not much government support. So, you know, I feel like there's a huge responsibility on me right now because of those two reasons to educate and make sure people are being informed of all the new changes in society that are really putting a lot of stress on individuals to do the planning now. It's vital. And when you have that, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I kind of, compare it to having wisdom teeth. You have your wisdom teeth (laughs) pulled, and you're never going to have to have them pulled again. You make a good plan with somebody that you admire. And I must tell you, you are young. And when we were assigned, we were assigned a planner through the company. Our planner was a little bit older than you. I don't know if he was 30 yet. I don't think he was. And he was hungry and just the way you're talking. And when my husband passed away unexpectedly, Kevin became the number one man in my life because he held those mm. tools to my financial security. And so I would say to people that are my age, but also people that are my daughter's age and son's age and younger who are not going to get pensions, who are having to figure out how do you plan for your future. You don't wait until you're ready to retire to do that and I just think that as a young person and a bilingual young person that you are you are in the perfect position to do that so which takes me sort of to my next curiosity but I have a feeling I probably could answer this for you and that is what's the what's your favorite part of your job yeah, I think we definitely did touch up on things like that already, yes. is that I get yes. to be out in the community connecting. But one thing I really like about my job right now is actually how challenging it is. You know, like you mentioned, I'm I'm extremely young. I'm 22 years old. So that means that some of the people I'm talking to have been saving for longer than I've been alive, you know, and that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I think that the challenge of pushing myself into the world of forcing myself to be out of my comfort zone every day, even doing something like this, getting on a talk show and um, talking about my life and everything I'm doing. I think uh, that the challenge has been, has allowed me to grow so much and has pushed me so much farther than any other desk job could. 
And, you know, to be honest, it's not easy to go out there and connect and have someone trust me. So I'm helping them, you know, organize their entire financial plan. But when I do and when I am able to help someone and I get text messages of how thankful they are and how long they've been putting this off and they're so happy someone came into their life and took, took initiative to help them. I think, you know, that when, when that actually happens after all my trials and tribulations to be able to finally help someone and feel their gratefulness, that is definitely my favorite part of this job right now. Fabulous. So let's do the yin and the yang here. What would you say is, the, you know, the biggest obstacle that you might have faced thus far in your short career? Yeah, I think, like I mentioned, it's really learning how to roll with the punches. You know, in Mm -hmm. um, my job, there's a lot of objections. I get a lot of no's. I get a lot of weird looks. I get, you know, a lot of, like I mentioned, people that aren't ready to go with it. And it takes a lot of courage for me to build up, you know, putting myself out there and handling objections and all that. But in that is also another learning opportunity for me and an opportunity for me to grow. So it's just that overcoming limiting beliefs. Like sometimes I feel like I'm too young to be doing this. I'm not experienced enough. And it's pretty easy to feel like I'm in over my head, but learning how to deal with that, how to really um, get centered on who I want to be and what I'm trying to create for myself and not get too caught up in the short term, but really know that what I'm doing now, how I'm connecting with people, going on talk shows, doing seminars, doing talks, is not going to re- give me returns in the short term, but it will, do, it will be so beneficial if I continue to do it in the long term. I think that has been the biggest obstacle, you know, just learning how to deal with ob- objections, learning how to be patient, learning how to just continue to do what I'm supposed to do to reach my real version of myself. Well, speaking of the real version of yourself, because I've appreciated the journey that you've taken us on in your professional, short-term professional career. And frankly, I would not look at you personally and think, oh, well, you're 22 years old. What the heck would you know? I, I hear the passion in your voice. And sometimes it's our youngest population that is willing to do the research and the delving in. And you've, you've got your education from an exceptional college. And you've got passion. You know, and, and, and it comes across. It, it comes across immediately. It came across when I first met you. And that, for me, means a great deal. And I, while I can appreciate that, that it could be an obstacle and being patient, hey, there isn't anything that any of us that do that don't at times wish that we had a little bit more patience and we're, we're wishing we were there when we're over there. But you sound really right. centered. And that, that balance and centeredness, it is reflected, I think, perhaps in what we're going to talk about next because you had an experience that absolutely changed your life. And I thought we could yeah. really spend this part of our show talking about you taking us through what happened and the circumstances to you in March 
of 2018, just a little over a year ago. Let's tell us the story. Definitely. So this is going to for sure be the juicy part of our conversation today. So for all the listeners, I recommend um, holding on to your seats because, yeah, March last year, I went through a really crazy experience where um, it involves the ocean and my neck. So if you could take a guess, um, what happened was it was spring break of my senior year, right? So I already was about, I had one quarter left of college. I just learned that I was going to graduate with highest honors. I just got an internship that I was going to begin in my last quarter with Mass Mutual. So, you know, I was feeling on top of the world. I was about to finish my education. I already had a job lined up. I was graduating with honors. Everything was going perfect. And we went on spring break with uh, all my housemates my best friends from college, to San Diego. And um, on that Thursday of our spring break, me and one of my best friends, Patrick, decided to go into one last dip of the day um, in the ocean. And uh, we went running in something I've done thousands and thousands of times in my life. I dove through a wave, like literally just diving through a wave to go into the water. Like when you go in, you're diving through. And um, I didn't know that under the wave there was going to be a sandbar, so a big wall of sand. Um, the sand in San Diego fluctuates a lot on Mission Beach. It, uh, it goes up and down. And I hit a big dip, so I thought I had a lot of space underwater for me to dive through a wave, but I didn't know that there was a huge wall coming right back up. So when I dove through the wave, I made impact on this hard sand wall, um, hyperextended my neck, At that moment in time, I couldn't feel my arms, couldn't feel my legs. I was literally being hit and tumbled by the ocean for the longest probably 30 seconds of my life until Patrick, who, thank God, thank thank everything that he was there um, to see this all happening, he grabbed me by the armpits. He dragged me out of the ocean and uh, laid me down on the sand. At this point, um, all my eight other friends that were there on the trip with me came running after me. And I still remember everything. I didn't lose memory on, on impact. I have it all obviously so deeply ingrained in my mind. And it was literally like a movie scene where I was laying down on the beach, unable to move, and I just see eight of my friends' heads in a circle around me looking at me in shock. And I just remember telling them, you have to call the ambulance right now. I can't feel my arms. I can't feel my legs. I need to go to the hospital. Um, The ambulance came, picked me up um, on the beach, took me to Scripps Hospital in La Jolla. A shout-out to them. Um, They treated me so well. They took me in so quickly, um, helped me figure out what was wrong with me. My parents drove down from Los Angeles that day after getting a call from my friend um, that their son broke their neck in the ocean and is being rushed to the hospital. So when I tell that story, I always just think of my mom. I always think of like, what was this woman thinking when she heard this news? I can only imagine how, I, I, I don't even know what she was thinking at that point. Like imagine getting a phone call that your son broke his neck in the ocean is being rushed to the hospital 
And then when you ask, so what's happening? And his friend is on the other line saying, well, I don't know. That's all we got right now, Miss Gonzalez. So um, I ended up going to Scripps. Uh, a couple days later, my, I was able to walk again. Thank God um, I wasn't paralyzed. So a little bit of the science behind that, I fractured my C4, so my fourth vertebrae um, in my neck. It was fractured and, like, unaligned. It fell out of alignment. But um, – on top of the C4 is the C3, and that's what connects your nerves to your legs. So that's the one that if you break, you become paralyzed. On top of that is the C2, which I believe is the one to the brain. So it connects the nervous system to your brain. So when people break those, there's a chance of going brain dead. And the C1 is the one that connects your uh, nerves to your respiratory system. So if that one is broken, you'll be unable to breathe. And, you know, by the alignment of the universe, by whoever was looking over me, I was centimeters away from all that. And fortunately, just broke the one that connects the nervous system to your arms. And although that came with its own obstacles, my arms um, weren't really functioning properly for like three months after the incident, because that is that is where I that's where I broke my neck. It was what connected to the arms. And uh, for about two, three months, it felt like I hit my funny bone, but it wasn't really that Ooh. funny, you know? Did so it, it was like that, like that type of feeling. Yeah, it tingled yeah. for months. So oh, that dear. was, that was, yeah. But I mean, looking back now, that I, I'm so grateful that it was just that. And that was the worst thing that happened to me. So I ended up going to Los Angeles. I was cared for a neurosurgeon at Kaiser, um, and I went through the surgery. I now have a titanium rod that is connecting my C3 to my C6 to make sure that my C4 was aligned properly. And back on my feet, now working, working out again, um, feeling more and more like a normal human being every day. So, yeah, but that experience has definitely opened me up to just different different mentality on a lot of things. I feel like I've matured a lot through it. I've learned a lot about just the importance of life and how lucky we really are to be breathing every day. Gosh, it's, it's, it's dramatic. And, you know, I'm thinking about, like you said, your mom. I can imagine as a mom what that was like. I'm thinking about your other seven friends that were witnessing this and not knowing the results of this accident. I'm thinking about all of the players involved here and where you were in the scope of your life, getting ready to graduate and in with honors and start yeah. this internship it was a, and all of those things. It's literally, yeah, it's literally like a classic movie story. You know, you're going up, get the high, hit rock bottom and then you have to somehow figure your way to get back up and finish, you know, finish the journey. So it was crazy. Like you said, there's so many different players that went into it. So many different, um, just different things going on, different crazy experiences. I mean, I still get goosebumps. I have goosebumps now just talking about it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So how, how did your 
family. I mean, you, you have, like you said, you have a big family. You've got Patrick that must be so, I can imagine how grateful you were to have him save you. And I can imagine how Patrick must have felt to save you. So how yeah. did your, oh, that was... your family, gosh, tell us about how, how they reacted to all of this. Oh my goodness. It was, I've never felt more love in my life. You know, everyone was so supportive. Um, people were always coming, checking in on me. I had people coming to, uh, I was in the neurotrauma section. So after my surgery, I was put in one of really the gnarliest areas of the hospital, which was another journey in itself. You know, the neurotrauma section deals with a lot of people that had, had, uh, accidents that made them go brain dead and you know I was one of the fortunate ones in that floor and people were coming in and out of that place all the time visiting me I had old high school coaches come old friends and parents I haven't seen in a long time so much support so much love um yeah talking to Patrick again I remember the first time I talked to him after uh after I saw him, after we left, San, after like we both left San Diego, was a very emotional, um, you know, reconnection. Talking to uh, the guy that saved my life and just, you know, how grateful I was to have him as a friend. And, you know, I, I broke into tears talking to him. And I don't think I've ever done that with one of my friends before like that. So, yeah. like I said, it's just. I've learned so much about what's really important. You know, it's it's really um, an amazing story of resilience. And you had mentioned up at the beginning um, of our when we were talking, and you had talked about um, needing to be patient as an as an obstacle as you work your way through your professional career. I can only mm-hmm. I can only imagine how much patience, um, gratefulness, absolutely. I mean, that's at the top. Like you're, you're grateful that you didn't break your C3, your C2, or C, your C1. I mean, that was a very, mm-hmm. very fortunate for you. But I, I can also, I mean, I'm only trying to imagine what, what I would be feeling like just, you know, if I were you. And I guess another thing, Gosh, it's just another thought that kind of goes through my mind because I know sometimes when you re-speak a story, you're right back there, you know, even though it, it mm-hmm. hasn't really been all that long. I, I guess I'd be curious to know this. So how long were you actually in the hospital uh, where you were rehabbing? How long did that take for you to get yeah. on your feet? So. So how it worked was after the incident in San Diego, I was taken to Scripps. At Scripps, I spent three days there. So I was there um, Thursday to Sunday. Um, Sunday, they, uh, I was sent back to Los Angeles so I can meet my neurosurgeon and go through uh, their analysis there. So I go back to Los Angeles. The Tuesday or Wednesday, it was, no, it was the Wednesday of next week. I go into uh, Kaiser. They do more MRIs and CTs. And then the doctor says, yeah, so you should probably have surgery tomorrow. Can you come in tomorrow? (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess, like, do I have an option? So about a week, 
a, a little six days after the accident, I had the surgery in Los Angeles at a, the Kaiser on Vermont and Sunset in mm-hmm. North Hollywood. And um, after the surgery, it was a five-hour surgery. I was in uh, the neurotrauma for about six days because there was just a lot of pain. They had to cut through so much muscle and tissue to get to my my cervical spine. So that honestly, that after the surgery, I was in more pain than after the accident because of all the moving around they had to do with all my muscle and ligaments that it was so sore. It was hard for me to sit up without, with moving my neck too much. So I was there, um, on a lot of morphine on a lot of just bad things for my body. It was, it was difficult because I was learning how to walk again, learning how to gain the strength to literally start walking because it hurts so much to even just sit up. Mm -hmm. That took about a week um, in the hospital. And then I still had to do, um, I had, I had to have, uh, what, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Therapists, therapists come Mm -hmm. to my house and do all the, all the exercises with me at home for about a month after that. And I was in a neck brace up until the end of June. So I walked across stage in Santa Clara with my neck brace on. And then a couple weeks after graduation, I was able to take that thing off of me. Well, Julian, here's he, this is the, I, I'm really happy to hear this progression. But what was what was running through my mind, and 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 you answered it, but I'm curious about it. You were a week from graduation. I don't know that you had finished all your finals. I I can't imagine what it was like for you. The the anxiety of, you know, the pain, the neck brace, the gratefulness, all of those things. Mm -hmm. You're in Los Angeles. Santa Clara is in Northern California. That's where you were supposed to be, getting ready to begin the next journey, graduating with honors, you know, starting your, your internship with math. So how were you able in such a short period of time to be able to go from this near-death experience to walking, I, I can't imagine what the crowd, what the, what the audience did. I mean, that you must have made the news. I mean, that must have just been phenomenal. How were you able to do that? Yeah, so um, it was a lot of battling with my parents, a lot of convincing my parents that I could do it and I was ready for it. Um, my mom for sure wasn't happy with the decision I made because I only – um, so I spent five weeks of recovering and then, so I had one sem- one quarter left of school right when I broke my neck. So that's 10 weeks in, uh, the trimester calendar that Santa Clara goes by. They go by the quarter system. So, um, after breaking my neck the first weekend, I had one more quarter to finish, but I only had two courses left. And, um, I emailed my teacher's. Or I had my aunt, my mom email my teachers because I couldn't at that point, you know, type. And I had her say like, "Hey, I just broke. This is Julian's mom talking, for, uh, typing for Julian. Um, I just broke my neck. I'm not going to be at school this next week. I only have two classes left. And I was on a scholarship for four years there, so that was something that 
was kind of pushing me to want to finish the school year and work with my professors to figure out how we can make that happen. So I was just completely honest with them. I told them, look, I have two classes left to take. I just broke my neck. Um, I want to really finish this quarter still. Oh, sorry. I want to really finish this quarter still because I, I need to for my scholarship. And I was wondering if there's anything we could do, like if I could do work from home, if we could work something out where I come in the last few weeks and just have packets that I'm doing up until then. And uh, these teachers probably looked at this email saying, like, who the heck is this kid that just broke his neck trying to come back to school? <laughs> and they were, they, right? So they were, I, they were very helpful with it. Um, both one of my teachers, it was like an intro to um, psychology class that I just had to finish that I didn't take my freshman year. She was very helpful. She was like, oh, my goodness, like, don't worry about it. I'll give you a couple papers to do to turn in at the end of the year and we'll work it out through the week. And one of my, my other professors, I had to finish one finance class and I, I had them the quarter before and did pretty well in the class and had a relationship with him already. So he, a couple, like into the third or fourth week when I was able to start, um, you know, moving around a little better and I wasn't so in so much pain. He did once a week phone calls with me where he was just going over everything we learned, making sure I was staying on top of uh, the curriculum. And um, so actually I came back week seven of the quarter and my first day back I had a midterm in that finance class that I was talking to my teacher for once a week and I beat the class average. I got an 88 when the class average was an 85. So th that moment for me was like, wow, like I could really do this. Like I, that was like one of, I've, I've, I've like never met, felt more proud of myself after doing that. And at that moment it was like, okay, if I could do this, I could finish out the rest of the quarter. I could um, go back and, you know, graduate and cross stage in my neck brace. So my mom wasn't happy with the decision. My grandma's even less that I told them I wanted to get on a plane with my neck brace and go back to school where my parent, where my friends would be the ones in charge of taking care of me. So like I literally went back to school and had my friends help me put on my shoes because I couldn't bend over at that time. But I just knew it was something that had to be done. I knew it was something I wanted to do and I knew it was something that I could do. So I just had to trust my gut, and I think my parents now understand why it was that I had to do all that, and that, you know, I've always kind of been like that, where I never want people telling me no, or I can't do something, and I think it was a little, I, I think it was a little of my stubbornness as well that pushed me to do that, but yeah, that's how all that worked. It was just a lot of convincing people that I could do it, and dealing with objections, right? Something that I'm doing now in my life. <laughs> Something that we were it's, talking it's, about it's, earlier. Yes. It, it's, I think about, you know, um, if you could go back in time, if you would have dove back into that water on that day, because would you, I mean, you didn't know what was coming, right? Wow. No, not at all. But I think no. I wouldn't trade it. I think, you know, if I could go back in time and, be on the beach on that Thursday and know that um, if 
I do go into the water, I'd break my neck. I think I, I, I wouldn't, I don't, okay, I don't know if I'd say I would go in there and break my neck, but what the point I'm trying to get to is saying that I'm happy this happened to me. I'm happy that I experienced this before going into a job that was going to take a lot of patience, a lot of feeling like, you know, it's, things aren't going the way you're supposed to, a lot of dealing with objections and really focusing on how you can better and improve yourself to help your own situation. And the learning experience I've gotten from this, the amount of love I felt from the people around me, just, you know, the reinforcement that I really have a strong community around me that loves and cares for me and everything I've been opened up to through this experience, I wouldn't share, I wouldn't take that back. I don't think I would. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, what occurs to me, since you are still local now, and that is, you know, I could see your high school um, inviting you back and saying, we would like you to be the inspirational speaker at graduation. You are, mm. you are eloquent in the way you speak. And, and you just said, you know, this happened for a reason. I, 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 I actually gained something from this. I've learned something about myself. I have a can-do attitude. Like no one is going to hold you back because the sky is the limit for you. And I, I, I am curious to know, as of today, we're only a little over a year out, do you still um, have residual discomfort in, in your body from this accident? Um, yeah, I think I'll have it for a long time. Um, I, I sometimes just feel like soreness in my shoulders. It's, it's like when I sit in, like sitting at a desk can get really uncomfortable because like when you're sitting at a desk typing or something, you hunch, you're not sitting upright, right? You're sitting a little hunched Mm -hmm. over. So you're looking at something and by not having that alignment in that body and like putting that pressure on my head going down, that creates some tension in my shoulders. Sometimes I just need to like sit down and rest my back and rest my head up. But um, yeah, so it's just a little bit of soreness that I get in my shoulders now, but every day it seems to be a little less. Um, The nurse, right before I had my surgery, he actually broke his neck and had a cervical spinal fusion as well, oddly enough. And he said, yeah, dude, like, it's going to hurt, it's going to, you're going to be in a lot of pain, and it probably won't be in a couple more years until you feel like you're 100% back to normal. So just make sure you take it easy, and if you do, if it's like a year and a half out and you're still feeling like discomfort, that's absolutely normal. So hopefully by 2020, I'll be, I'll have all that gone, but yeah, definitely still feel a little bit. Yeah, I would imagine so. So you're dealing with that. So has that really changed your life since since this incident? What, what, how how do you see yourself today? Um, you know, 14 months later from the man you were 14 months ago. Oh yeah, definitely. I think um like I said I've grown a lot uh within me like the gratitude is one thing like I wake up and 
it's hard to get upset by like the little things, you know, you know how like sometimes there's little things that really piss you off or frustrate you Mm -hmm. in your life and everyone goes through them. But now like, I feel like those things don't affect me as much anymore because like, you know, what's the point of getting so worked up over something like that when there's so much more out there that we could experience. I think uh, that lens of gratitude has been something that's, stuck with me since that experience so I'm just grateful like I it might sound cheesy but grateful that I get to breathe and walk every day and it's it was really powerful you know being in a situation where I thought I was going to die and where I thought everything was going to be wiped out from me to be able to have this second chance everything is just a little more greener everything is a little more positive and everything is just more fun it's 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 tough now to get upset and disappointed over things. Obviously, I do, as everyone does. But just, you know, having that in the back of my mind, really centering myself on how lucky we all are to be walking on the earth today has helped me. I think what the biggest shift is, is I'm more within myself now, you know. I'm not so worried about everything going on around me and how I could fit into everything outside of my body, but I'm more focused on how I could better myself, how, you know, I could be more in tune with my spirituality, how I can work on myself to help others. And I think just going through that has created um, me being more focused on myself and how I could better myself instead of how I could, you know, how I could be a part of something out there or I'm not worried about what out there could affect me, but how I could affect what's out there. It's fascinating how conversations ebb like a wave, no pun intended for the ocean, because (laughs) there are sandbars in all of our lives. We may not be diving into one, Mm. but we may come up to a roadblock, you know, so it's a metaphor for us. And what you just described is something that personally I'm becoming much more aware of, and it's probably not a new term for you because you sound like the the walking um, um, board for mindfulness and and mm. and spirituality, regardless of your former religious training. But being mindful and being grateful and understanding the capacity of your body, how to breathe. Uh, what I've just, you live here in Westchester. I've added yoga to my life in the last month. And there are, oh, there are yoga awesome. classes right here. I cannot even tell you, for me personally, how just understanding how to, you talked about alignment. So my doctor says to me at my physical, you're all bunched up here at your neck. You need to practice <laughs> holding your head. Like you're like a balloon is holding the the crown of your head, but your chin should be coming down because that will force alignment into your back. You will stand straighter, mm. and you will you will you will your posture will be improved. And I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, yes, you know, many of us that listen to stories, I'm never gonna have the experience of diving into the water. That is never going to happen. You're lucky. You're lucky for that. Trust me, Marcia. Yeah, well, you know, 
So I'm not going to have that experience, but we all bring our own experiences. I mean, you could be my grandson. We all bring our own experiences into our lives. And the beauty of podcasting for me is the opportunity to share these stories because what happened to you, whether it's a sandbar or not, maybe it's a car accident, maybe it's falling down your stairs, whatever it might be, what the overarching arch that I've heard about you through this conversation is, number one, the love and support of your family. Huge. The love and support of your friends. Huge. The fortunateness of the fact that you are not a quadriplegic, that you did not die, that you can move your arms and legs, that you did graduate. And what did you want to do? You wanted to help others. You wanted to find a way. How can I take my interest of helping others, not only in the English language community, but in the Spanish community? Because people want to trust the person that's managing their money. Come on. It's our money. Exactly. We don't want to to not have the absolute trust in whomever we're working with. You've picked a very reliable, um, well-known company in Mass Mutual. And, and your future just lies ahead of you with such promise. I I don't know. I mean, I knew that the show was going to be about the subject. I really didn't know, Julian, what you were going to say. It certainly wasn't obvious when you and I met that you were standing in a posture that made me think, gee, I wonder if, wonder if he's okay. No, no, that <laughs> is not how you present yourself at all. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm impressed with your persistence and your diligence and your um, centeredness. It, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, and and when, we, when you think about somebody that might be listening today and they're thinking about getting into a business or starting their own business, what advice would you give to you? you are you considered a millennial? I think you are, right? Or are you at the end of the millennial? So like I'm, still... I'm, right I'm right on the cusp. I've, I've done a lot That's, of expensive yeah. research on it because I want to be a millennial <laughs> and I don't want to be Gen Z for some reason. But I've read articles that say the cutoff is 95, and I've read articles that say the cutoff is 97, and I was born in 96. So I, I just right go with millennial. I go, yeah, I go there with millennial. Go. <laughs> wow. That's it's so yeah, – um, go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm curious to know what you would advise somebody that was about to tackle business today that's in your age group. You know, um, I think the biggest thing is just to get started. There's always going to be the thought that you got to be more prepared. You got to have this before you could do that. But nothing is going to happen until you just start doing it. Like a couple of days ago, I, was, I, I saw this comic on like Instagram and uh, it was two people building a garden. And the first person was talking about, okay, I got to buy the fence to surround the garden. I got to get the right fertilizer. I got to buy the right plants I like. I got to um, make sure that I'm watering at the right time. And the other person was just starting to dig and plant the flowers. And then like it cut out into three months later. And the, the one guy that's thinking about all the things is scratching his head 
and the other person already has the fence, all the plants blossoming, the garden already growing, and the other person asks them, what's your secret? How's your garden? Um, how, how'd you build this garden? And the other person just responds, I started gardening. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> just yeah, do it like the I Nike think, commercial, yeah. right? <laughs> right, exactly. So I think it's just, you know, there's always going to be limiting beliefs. As big as you get, if you want to, if you could be, um, you know, super successful entrepreneur, mogul, and if you want to get to the next stage in life, what comes after that, there's always going to be limiting beliefs. You know, there's always going to be the thoughts in your head that tell you you're not ready to take the next step in your life and to continue on and to begin your next journey. But if you let those thoughts take control, they're going to win and you're never going to start. So it's just, you know, being aligned with who you want to be, what you're trying to create, and being very clear on how what you're going to do today is going to affect the person you want to become in the future. It's all about intentions. Uh, You said that so beautifully. You know, I would imagine there are people that are listening today that would want to say, how in the world can I get in touch with you through your business or whatever? Is there a way that people could contact you about your business and say, I want to work with this young man. And my, my guy doesn't live in California. He lives in California, but he doesn't, he, he lives in Northern California. How would people, uh, what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you if they wanted to? Yeah, there's a couple ways. Um, the first one would be you could access me on uh, my Mass Mutual website. So if you just look up Julian Gonzalez Mass Mutual on Google, um, my website will pop up as the first one. Um, you could also send me an email at Julian Gonzalez. My last name is spelled G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. So my email is Julian Gonzalez at financialguide.com. You could call or send me a text at 310-991-1617. Um, in this field, you know, your life is very, your personal life is intertwined with your business life. So I use that number for everything, for reach outs about um, the financial planning stuff or for anyone that just wants to get a coffee and chat, um, 310-991-1617. What I will do, Julian, is when our show concludes, and it's going to conclude fairly soon, I will make sure to include all of that on the blog so that if somebody, maybe there's somebody that's listening that just wants to reach out to you on a personal level, I'd like to make sure that they know how to do that. And yeah. I, I think that that's, that's really, in, really important. And I, I'm mm-hmm. really glad that you're so willing to share all of that information with, with our listeners. Yeah. I, and you could also – Go uh, ahead. Oh, I was going to say you could also uh, follow me on Instagram at Julian Mojave. So that's J-U-L-I-A-N-M-O-J-A-V-E. Um, that's the social media I use. I'm not on Facebook or Twitter. That's that's the one I focus on. So that's another that's spot great. as well for all the Instagram followers on there. Perfect. I'm 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 really glad you said that because I I think that Instagram is absolutely what your generation is using. Us older people, your grandparents' age, we we've killed Facebook for you. But um, <laughs> you know, so my kids don't use Facebook either. Uh, I wanted to before we conclude our show today, 
I wanted to just let our listeners know that every week I have yet another amazing, fascinating guest on my show. I'm so fortunate that just like you love what you do, I love what I do. So check this out. Next week, I'm going to have a nurse on my show. Her name is Sarah Chapman. I met her at my um, Playa Venice Rotary Club um, a month or two ago, and she was our guest speaker. And she's going to be sharing her story about an organization that she started in 2012 called Build a Better Benin, not Build a Better Bear. So just don't get confused with that. This is Build a Better Benin. That's B-E-N-I-N. It's um, a country in West Africa. And her focus is on health care and education for women and children. And she goes there and she gives of herself to Benin. And it's just remarkable what she's doing in the orphanages and schools in a, in a country that so needs this kind of help. And, and, and just like what you were saying, she gets, you get sometimes when you love what you do, you get more back than what you than what you even give and you and you're giving it such a high level and people are so responsive and that's the the joy of doing this show every week where people do their their passions in life and I just want to thank you for the the opportunity to share your story about the successes and the the grit and determination that you've that you've shared with us today it's a tremendous story julian i'm just so happy that we could share this time together thank you so much for having me marcia um yeah like you said uh doing something you love comes with a lot of positives a lot of great things you learn about not only your business but yourself and everyone you're connecting with so if you're listening to this and um, you feel inspired or inclined to start your own business or work on your personal development or go to yoga like Marsha has, just go out there and do it because that's really what it takes to start moving in the direction you want your life to go. So thank you again for letting me share my story, for uh, hopefully putting some inspiration into your followers, and I'm excited for when we get to connect again. I I couldn't agree more, and thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's show, and I look forward to running into you at the chamber or maybe at our little bonds or somewhere around the community because we are neighbors. So thanks it's funny again, how everyone knows that place yes. as little bonds. Well, that's oh, no, I was just saying it's funny how it's... the community knows that place as little bonds. Everyone calls it I that. I know. Do you know why? Do you know the backstory? No, I just know it's Little Vaughn's. Well, here, I'm going to just, I'm sorry, I'm going to just go over just a moment to tell you the backstory. In the day, okay, over where our, where our McDonald's is over there on La Tijera, do you know where that is, of course? Across the yep. street from that, from that McDonald's that's been there forever was a big market called Vaughn's. It was the Big Vaughn's. But those of us that live where uh. you and I live, we didn't have to go over to the big bonds when we had little bonds. We're right here in our neighborhood. Yeah. And that's how it got the name. Isn't that funny? That is hilarious. <laughs> you learn something now new you every know day. Yes, yeah, sure do. All you got to do is keep your ears open and your eyes open. So thanks <laughs> once again. I'm going to, to end this episode, everybody, and have a wonderful week. All you moms out there, 
Happy Mother's Day to you, and I'll look forward to having you join me next week when Sarah Chapman is on my show. Bye for now, everybody.